Huawei now completely banned in the U.S. That's alongside a handful of other Chinese tech companies and their gear, from telecom to drones and surveillance cameras. A blaze killing at least 10 in Xinjiang, fire trucks blocked by barricades, with the burning building's entrance reportedly locked, blocking residents' escape. China powering Russian drones? Iranian-made drones used by Russian forces in Ukraine appearing to contain Chinese parts, reports calling them knockoffs of Western designs. Apple's largest iPhone manufacturer paying workers to leave their jobs as violent protests erupt. And Chinese Coast Guard ships marching into disputed waters, one of them armed with a cannon, one week after two leaders shook hands. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. is banning a number of Chinese tech companies, among them telecom gear companies Huawei and ZTE, drone maker Dahua, surveillance camera provider Hikvision, and radio system maker Hytera. Let's zoom in on the move. The Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, said Friday it had adopted final rules, banning the sale or import of equipment from these companies. The agency cited national security risks for the decision. In 2018, Congress barred federal agencies from buying equipment from the five companies above. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr addressed that in a statement, saying the 2018 ban left a loophole open and that the new FCC order closes it. He wrote that the earlier rules allowed carriers to use private funds to purchase the exact same equipment and place it in their networks. Outside the U.S., the British government also told government departments to stop installing surveillance cameras made by Chinese companies on so-called sensitive sites. Likewise, officials cited national security concerns. The directive says existing Chinese equipment should not be connected to core government networks and that removing it entirely should be considered. As for locations that are not designated sensitive, it says officials also should consider doing the same. By law, Chinese companies must cooperate with the Chinese regime on national security. That means handing over any data Chinese officials ask for. Chinese company Hikvision has denied its devices can transmit user data to third parties. The UK Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee has previously called to ban Hikvision cameras and those from other companies due to human rights issues. These companies are said to have had their cameras deployed in labor camps in China's Xinjiang region. A blaze in a high-rise building in northwestern China's Xinjiang region. The tragic incident killing at least 10. The blaze has triggered a new wave of anger among local residents as well as online. That's as the city of Romchi, Xinjiang's capital, has been under strict COVID-19 lockdown orders for more than three months. Chinese state media said the fire broke out on Thursday night and was caused by an electrical socket extension. It started on the 15th floor, soon spreading to higher floors. Emergency workers took about three hours to put it out. Videos posted online of the incident have raised questions about China's pandemic-driven lockdown measures. One clip shows a fire truck waiting to enter the compound. Fences are visibly blocking its path. These barriers were supposed to prevent citizens from leaving the compound and spreading the virus. 
Another clip shows fire trucks stuck outside the compound, leaving their water cannons out of reach of the blaze. A resident living close to the building told the Epoch Times that the upstairs fire escape exit was locked and that residents had no means to escape via the roof. The building's front entrance was also sealed. She questioned state media reports' casualty numbers, suspecting far more than 10 must have died. A post on Chinese social media said all three children from a family died, the youngest just five years old. The parents reportedly couldn't return home from another city due to the local lockdown. The person who posted the message said his or her family lived beneath the floors that caught on fire. His parents and sister ran down the stairs, only to find the entrance was locked. They were eventually able to escape through a window of a family living on the first floor. Responding to the anger online, authorities said residents had been able to leave the burning building, but an announcement believed to be from the neighborhood's committee stated that the building's entrances would be sealed starting November 21st. In southern China, the mega city of Guangzhou is boosting its COVID-19-related restrictions. Local media reported that 19 makeshift hospitals have been built or repurposed from stadiums or exhibition halls, with 130,000 beds in total. All of them reserved for people who test positive for the virus and the close contacts of confirmed cases. But discontent is surging amid the new measures. The city's police department reported that in the last month, people have been destroying barriers set up to keep them inside their compounds or districts. It's reportedly happened 148 times within just a month. Limes disrupted. People locked inside their homes, confined by enforced quarantine rules. How would you react? Recently in China, a trend of pushing back against stringent COVID-19 measures is taking center stage. In this video clip shared on Twitter, residents were seen breaking through a virus prevention blockade in China's northwestern Xinjiang region, saying they just wanted to get home and were not afraid, even when police opened fire. In another clip, residents in a community compound are seen facing off against police. That's to free a man from being violently arrested by virus control officers in Chongqing, southwestern China. The man pleaded for help from the crowd. Eventually, residents freed the man from the police and escorted him away. China is reportedly powering Russian drones, and the devices are targeting Ukrainian cities. A recent report sheds light on Iran, Russia, and China's nexus, and on their seemingly illicit use of Western tech. Here's the story. In an ongoing terror blitz across Ukraine, Russian forces have recently been using Iranian-made killer drones to hit Ukraine's critical infrastructure. A new report from a watchdog group found these weapons appear to contain Chinese knockoffs of Western parts. Like this Shahed 136's engine, built by a Beijing firm, it appears to copy a German design. Iran has also developed its own parts based on alleged Chinese knockoffs, like the Shahed 131, another killer drone used by Russian forces in Ukraine. 
It contains an engine built domestically in Iran, but it looks to be a reverse engineered copy of another Chinese knockoff. That Chinese engine is seemingly based on a British design. What's more, researchers also found the Shahed 136 and another Iranian drone supplied to Moscow contain parts made in the U.S. The Chinese Communist Party is very good at exchanging its market for technology. That is, a lot of technology, as long as it enters China, sooner or later will be in the hands of the CCP. In the report, researchers wrote China plays a larger role than previously assessed in Iran's drone-making capabilities. It's mutual support of positions that the CCP helps Iran develop some drone technology. Secondly, it's an exchange of substantive interests. Of course, this is all in violation of United Nations sanctions. The findings could spell trouble for the Western companies involved in the drone technology. But it's more likely Iran is procuring this technology on the black market with China's help. In the report, researchers are calling on the U.S. to more aggressively police these networks. Previously, the U.S. said anyone linked to arms flows from Iran to Russia could face sanctions. Apple iPhone supplier Foxconn is working to resolve a dispute with its workers in China. Protests erupted over pay and strict lockdown policies in Jinzhou this week. Many employees decided to leave the world's largest iPhone factory. Departures are fueling concerns about Apple's ability to deliver products for the busy holiday season. NDD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what Foxconn is doing to quell the unrest. A Foxconn source that wished to remain anonymous says more than 20,000 employees have quit. They say the majority were new hires not yet working on production lines. This after protests broke out in Zhengzhou this week. Police were filmed beating protesters in the street. Foxconn is offering to pay new workers $1,400 to quit and leave their jobs in an effort to resolve the dispute. The company also apologized to disgruntled workers. They claim there was a pay-related technical error when hiring. Workers say they were misled over compensation benefits at the factory. Foxconn launched a hiring drive earlier this month, promising bonuses and higher salaries after it had to enact COVID curbs in October. The restrictions forced the company to isolate many employees, having them live in dormitories and makeshift quarantine facilities on site. Workers also complained about having to share dormitories with colleagues who tested positive for the CCP virus and a shortage of food. The extreme restrictions prompted a mass exodus from the company. The factory produces Apple's popular iPhone 14 models. The complex is home to around 200,000 workers. The discontent has disrupted production ahead of the busy holiday season. One anonymous source from Foxconn says recent departures will have no impact on the company's ability to fulfill orders, because new staff still needed to take training courses before starting work on the production lines. They say the incident has had a big impact on the company's public image, but little on capacity. The unrest at the Foxconn plant comes as China logs record numbers of COVID infections and increases lockdowns, fueling frustration among citizens across the country. Apple says it has staff at the factory and is working with Foxconn to address employees' concerns. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. An armed march into disputed waters. Four Chinese Coast Guard vessels entering disputed waters near Japan this Friday. One of the ships armed with a cannon its barrel measuring almost 13 inches in diameter. The Chinese ships ventured near the Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea. Both China and Japan lay claim to the disputed islands. 
The move comes a week after the Japanese Prime Minister met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The Chinese ships left after the Japanese Coast Guard ordered them to. China boosting its ties with certain Pacific nations. Beijing says it had held a video meeting with five Pacific Island nations on Tuesday to discuss police cooperation. Here's more. The Solomon Islands co-hosted the meeting. Chinese state media called the meeting the first minister-level dialogue with countries in the region. But based on a photo posted to Twitter by the Chinese embassy in Fiji, the Solomon Islands Minister of Police was the only minister-level official who attended. Representatives from other countries included superintendents or acting police commissioners. At least two of the countries present for the China-hosted meeting are in talks with Australia about cooperation. Papua New Guinea is in discussions with the country for a defense agreement, while Fiji and Australia recently signed a deal to allow their militaries to operate in each other's country. Earlier this year, Beijing tried to strike a security and trade deal with 10 Pacific Island nations. This fueled concern in the U.S. and Australia about Beijing's military ambitions in the region. Since then, the West has boosted its financial aid and training in the region. Last month, for the first time, dozens of Solomon Island police officers traveled to China for training. Likewise, Chinese police officers had also been sent to the Pacific nation to train local police. Wall Street banks are taking the axe to China-focused jobs. Swiss global investment bank Credit Suisse has cut about a third of its China-based staff. Let's zoom in. The Credit Suisse staff cut reportedly includes 20 of its banking team members plus 10 researchers in China, although sources for the story declined to be identified for confidentiality reasons. The Swiss bank's decision appears to respond to the slowdown in the world's second largest economy. That, of course, is largely caused by China's sweeping COVID-19 restrictions. Credit Suisse itself declined to comment on the layoffs when contacted by Reuters, but they come less than a month after the bank announced a plan to cut jobs. And Credit Suisse isn't the only company slimming its workforce in China. U.S. investment bank Goldman Sachs cut 25 Asia-based jobs in September, mostly in China. Financial services firm Morgan Stanley is also reportedly planning to announce staff cuts worldwide, with teams focused on the company's China business expected to bear the brunt. Coming up, supply chains in China, bottlenecked by pandemic rules. Will the snarls prompt an attitude shift in the West? General Robert Spaulding spoke with us about his take. And an American lawyer gives up practicing law to start an advocacy organization for women in China who were forced to abort their baby girls. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. COVID-19 lockdowns, protests sparked inside factories. Supply chains in China are seeing issues. Will Chinese proxies in the West rethink their dependence on China? In our new primetime show, Newsmakers, we spoke to General Robert Spaulding about the details. He's a retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General and Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute. General, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be back. 
So, General, on trade between the two world's biggest economies, we're seeing videos coming out of China of these protests at Apple supplier Foxconn in China. So, how do you see this and other similar cases impacting our trade relations going forward? Well, what's interesting, uh, if you noticed, uh, the the head of AGI um, uh, brought a team from China to meet with a team from the United States, and his goal, Alan Greenspan, his goal was to basically continue to push capital into China. And so there's this competing effort happening where um, many of the Chinese proxies, and he's one of them, uh, are trying to uh, help continue to push capital into China, while at the same time we're seeing that these COVID controls within China, which are really about controlling the population, are creating issues with the supply chain. So there's, uh, if you look at um, the day-to-day -day, um, movement of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the, um, and the Shanghai and Shenzhen Stock Exchange, you're seeing it go up and you're seeing it go down. In fact, in, in November, it's gone up quite a bit in anticipation of Xi and Biden's meeting. But at the same time, you have these, uh, these uh, supply chain issues happening. So, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, what I think it means is that the Chinese Communist Party is trying to continue to get capital out of the West, continue to remain connected, while at the same time, there's this realization that, that things are coming apart. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of volatility as a result. You're going to see um, m money pouring in and supply chain breaking. So it's, it's a lot of uncertainty, which doesn't bode well for business. So, General, let's take one example of this. We see Apple are so reliant on China for their supply chains, but yet we see these protests shutting down factories at Foxconn. Are even these type of China stalwarts going to start rethinking about their dependence on China? Well, they already, they've already started to, to rethink their dependence on China. And in fact, the supply chain is already beginning to move. My concern is it's not moving fast enough. As you know, um, if we get into some kind of issue where, um, you know, there's some kind of uh, confrontation between uh, China and Taiwan, you could see the supply chain be the lever by which the Chinese Communist Party begins to coerce the United States. And so this is, a, this is my concern. In particular, I'm concerned about pharmaceuticals, but there's a lot of other goods that the United States depends on that is sourced from China, and that's their lever to control the United States. Typically, they've done it through the corporate sector and our, um, our financial institutions, but um, it, it, it could be you know, pulling on the heartstrings of Americans as it impacts, impacts their daily health. General, speaking of this lever, you recently tweeted to remove China's most favored nation status. So how has that helped the Chinese regime get to where they are now? And what will removing this do? Well, I think that, um, you know, you're going to see the Chinese continue to pressure the United States in ways that, um, you know, certainly Biden was receptive to um, during their meeting on the sidelines of the G20. And so I think these, um, you know, Xi Jinping having 
consolidated power now feels much more emboldened to begin to essentially soothe the concerns of um, both the United States and um, her allies to ensure that these lines of communications and connectivity and trade continue to to open up and continue to to, to allow um, both capital and technology to flow into China. That being said, it's it's going to be um, you're going to see with the new Congress coming in, there is going to be pressure put on China to um, to or not on China, but really on the administration to begin to completely sever those ties. Well, General, definitely lots happening and to look forward to, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. An American lawyer giving up practicing law to start an advocacy organization. Now, she helps prevent women in China from being forced to abort their baby girls. Hentidi's Arlene Richards has the story. In the late 1970s, China's rapid population growth was nearing one billion. Leader Deng Xiaoping seriously considered how to control the growth. The solution? A policy that would require couples to limit their families to one child. The one-child policy officially started in 1980. In the beginning, the Chinese Communist Party used various ways to enforce the law, such as charging a fine to couples that had a second child. But they said the decision to abort was voluntary. In the early 2000s, an American attorney found out it wasn't voluntary. And I represented a couple of Chinese refugees in their cases of political asylum. And the first one was forcibly sterilized under the one-child policy. So this was in the mid-90s. And she was literally lifted up and dragged out of her home and held down to a table, and they performed this abdominal operation with no anesthesia, and she was basically permanently disabled afterwards. And that was what showed me that the propaganda that the Chinese Communist Party was um, promulgating was false. She stopped practicing law to advocate for Chinese women. But then this happened. I met someone who really feels very passionate about this this issue and she is from China herself and it's her network inside of China it's her friends inside of China that that constitute our network so when I saw the opportunity to actually help people inside of China I jumped on it because it's very very rare in 2011 Reggie Littlejohn started women's rights without frontiers so what we do in China is the network will find out about a woman who is being pressured by her mother-in-law or her husband or just by financial circumstances that are exacerbated by COVID to um, either abort or more often to abandon, give away her baby girl. And we will go to her and we say, congratulations on your baby girl. Girls are as good as boys, and um, we, uh, you know, we will offer you $25 a month to empower you to keep your daughter. Little John said her network has saved hundreds of babies this way. In 2016, faced with a rapidly aging population, the CCP allowed families to have two children. And now it's three children. But Little John said families are pressuring women to abort female babies due to cultural beliefs that favor boys. 
She said $25 is a lot of money for people living in the countryside, and the money convinces the family to keep the girls. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you.